I talk about scalability all the time. Uh, I, I think about scalability all the time. I try to figure out what of our activities would scale without droning our us and droning our own time uh, if we get 10 times bigger than, than we are today. I think that writing online in general is one of the most scalable activity uh, out there. Uh, especially, you know, if you write a newsletter, your daily job is not much different if you have 100 people who are subscribed or 100,000. My name is Luca Rossi. I'm the founder of Refactoring. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Luca Rossi is delivering the best insights to your inbox, all around becoming a better engineering leader. All this and more on Code Story. Luca Rossi is based in Italy, and he's lived there his whole life. He has studied computer science while being a part-time musician. He left his PhD program to found a startup called Wonder.io and has been working in engineering leadership roles ever since. He's been playing guitar his whole life, and he calls it the most serious thing he does outside of technology. During the eight years he was an engineering leader, Lucas started writing about his experiences and the things he had learned along the way. What he noticed was people started to love it, and his ventures started to gain subscribers and traction, so much so that he stepped out to do it full-time. This is the creation story of refactoring. Refactoring is a newsletter for engineering leaders and anybody who cares about building great engineering teams. So I started writing it basically trying to tell the lessons that I'd learned as a co-founder and CTO of a startup and thinking about things that I would have loved to read when I was younger. Because basically being a CTO has been my first job, right? So I didn't know how to do anything really. But while I was kind of able to find content about, you know, writing code, frameworks, tutorials and whatever, I found it very hard to find high quality things about how to run an engineering team, how to hire people, making people happy and stay at your company. So I started writing about these things that I learned to care a lot during these eight years. These things resonated with many people, uh, apparently, <laughs> as the newsletter grew to 10,000 subscribers in less than a year. And then I, I thought that it could became a viable business also inspired by the other newsletters that had made that kind of jump, you know, to become from side gigs to full-fledged businesses. And I launched the paid tier of the of the newsletter, uh, started trying some sponsorships and quit my job to do that full-time. And right now we have uh, 18,000 people subscribe to the newsletter. There are about 600 paying subscribers. Uh, we have recurring sponsors. Everything is working well, and I've launched also other things alongside the main newsletter itself. So there is now a library uh, that is curated with more than 200 pieces of content around different engineering leadership topics. So you can build your own curriculum of things to study. 
There is a community, private community, where you ha can have thoughtful exchanges and meet people who can be helpful for your uh, challenges and for your journey. We have recommended tools with deals and discounts. Basically, I think of refactoring as your own engineering family and the place where, where you, that you can trust, where you can go. Tell me about the MVP of you know, this refactoring club. Tell me about that first version that you built. You know, how long did it take you to build and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? I think there are two sides of this story because one thing is how I literally built the, the newsletter and, and, and another side is how I got started with writing, you know, the actual craft of writing. And being an engineer, I obsessed for weeks uh, unnecessarily, I think, on the tech stack that I would use to create the newsletter. I investigated anything from totally custom things to CMSs, Ghost, Substack. And then I also questioned if I would be able to write something regularly, like week over week, because I had never had even a blog, you know, it was a totally new experience for me. And as a founder, I think the most important thing, considering this like a startup, is trying to understand what are your biggest risks and diffusing them, starting from the, the most impactful ones, right? And and to me, the, the thing that scared me the most was not much about how to build a newsletter from a technical standpoint, but rather being able to put out a new piece uh, every week. So I went for a technical stack that was completely managed and allowed me not to care about technology and the maintenance of this. So I went with Substack to free up my, my whole time for writing. And that's also because, mind you, at that time, I, I still had the full-time job. So that was a side gig occupied about one hour, one hour and a half of my time. And I wanted to spend that on, on writing. Actually, that uh, proved to be the right choice because Substack has been a very good tool that not only allowed me to focus actually on writing, so it succeeded at that goal that I set, but it also brings a lot of subscribers through the recommendation features. So it was a good choice and good way to build an MVP, I think. So, okay, so from that point, you've got your MVP. How did you progress refactoring and mature it? And I'm curious, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, Luca. I'm curious how you built your roadmap and how you decided, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with refactoring. I think the two most important things for actually progressing on a roadmap are your mission and your vision, you know, so what you want, what problem you want to solve, which gives you, you know, inspiration about how to build next, uh, because you, you never solve the problem completely. You always have something that you can do to improve. The other thing is staying in touch with the customers, uh, the users, subscribers, whatever you want to call them, really hearing what they like and what they don't like, taking inspiration and ideas from them. Because I think that even if you are, let's say, misguided, then if you stick long enough and if you had a good feedback loop, then eventually you figure things out, right? Eventually you, write the, you build the right thing. I try to establish a feedback loop in the newsletter where people can leave feedback, can both rate the articles if they like them, if they didn't like them, but also leave suggestions and make questions, guide me, you know, in what to build next. Eventually, I tried to build what I thought myself I would have loved to, to have. So other than a regular flow and stream of content every week, I, I added 
an evergreen library of curated content about different topics because maybe you want to learn about something that it's not the weekly topic that I'm writing about, you know, it's a different thing and, and you can find about that in the library. And I added the community because of course I'm just one guy and I don't have all the experience in the world and so I may not be the right person to uh, solve your, your own challenge if you reach out to me, but I can maybe connect you with someone uh, who can. And so the, the community is the best way to me to, to have guaranteed that you can find someone with the right experience to, to make you go faster with your challenges. And these are the things that I gradually added to the, to the product. Rather than, you know, the specific things, I think the process is the, the most important thing. So really always listening to what people say and making the position of being able to listen to, to the customers. So let's switch to team. Am, do I understand that, that you're a, a one-person team? Yes and no. And um, there are two other people who helped me with uh, pieces of the refactoring business. So uh, over time, I hired one guy to help me with the uh, running the community and making the community better, creating you know weekly events, uh, helping me with engaging with people, finding new guests, uh, and at the same time also trying to grow the sponsorship businesses. And I also work with another person part-time on paid advertising and basically things for growing the newsletter that I'm not very good at, but I think are good opportunities. So it's not really, you know, a startup or a company that has a full-time team, uh, but it's more an asynchronous distributed group of people who help each uh, for their own. I think we are kind we are pretty efficient uh, so far. Even in those people, what, what did you look for in them to you know, indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? That's a very good question. I think one of the differences in general when you hire people as a creator or solopreneur versus when you hire people as a, as a founder is as a, as a founder of a VC-backed startup, you, you are very proactive at hiring. Right? You, we have raised capital to grow and so you hire, you hire as an opportunity to grow faster. So you anticipate maybe the scaling problem by hiring more people. While instead, when you are a bootstrap business and, or a solopreneur, what I found is that you hire by necessity, right? I mean, you hire to get yourself unstuck and free up your own time. I hired people that would be better than me at some things where I found myself spending a lot of time and or not being as successful as I could be if it was just me. So to go to get to your question, how do I find the people? When it comes to the person that works with me, with the community, I found him on the community. That would be for me the biggest guarantee that it was some somebody who was passionate about what I was doing because it was a paid subscriber. It was someone who was in the community engaging with other people. And so he was basically already doing that for free. Uh, and so I just reached out to him and, and told him if he wanted to do that as a, as a real gig, maybe not his main full-time thing, but something that would bring income and be relevant for him. And kind of the same happened for the, the other person who works with, with me on the paid advertising. So it is someone who has a newsletter, is passionate about this space. And so he's happy to do this both because uh, it's, it's a source of income, but also because 
uh, it is one of his interests. Again, this is maybe kind of different from a regular company where you have full-time employees that you just hire. Because when you have people who are not full-time with you, but spend a few hours of their time with you, you have to propose them something that not only is good income, I mean, good business opportunity, but it helps also a good overlap with the other stuff of their lives. It's a guarantee both for you that you, you bring people that are relevant to you, but also for them that are spending their time uh, in, in a good way. This will be interesting given you know the nature of what you've built talk to me about scalability right was this you know built and set up and configured to scale efficiently from day one or are you fighting this anyway as you grow we have very limited you know human power i talk about scalability all the time i i think about scalability all the time i try to figure out what of our activities would scale without droning our us and droning our own time uh, if we get 10 times bigger than, than we are today. I think that writing online in general is one of the most scalable activity uh, out there. Uh, especially, you know, if you write a newsletter, your daily job is not much different if you have 100 people who are subscribed or 100,000. But that does not apply to everything that we do because the community is not like that, of course. Community from the very beginning took a lot of time that is totally comparable to the writing task. The bigger it gets, the more resources you need to have to manage it and to, to not to make the quality decrease over time. So right now refactoring is a mix of things that scale well and scale less well. And we try to be aware of what where the bottlenecks are all the time and to prevent them and to unstuck, you know, our activities uh, to keep moving forward. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? When you say proud, I can take two different angles. I mean, if I consider like an intrinsic element of being proud of myself, I would say I had never written online regularly or publicly before. So I'm really happy just of the pursuit of taking, you know, ideas from my mind and putting them out there in now more than 100 articles at, uh, over one year and a half. I'm, I'm happy of it. And I would be happy even if it was just me and 10 subscribers. Okay. Even without the whole business side of it. And this is very important to me that I'm, I think, I feel I'm spending my time on something that, that I enjoy. Then, of course, uh, I'm very proud of being able to gather a community of people who are thoughtful, are brilliant, have an incredible experience in the industry and talk together. You know, there is a special feeling in seeing people connecting, people that you know, that are connecting with each other without you. Uh, at some point, you know, the feeling that you have created value that does not depend only on you anymore, but lives on its own. So probably the community is what I'm the most proud of. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. So I think at the beginning, I was very afraid of publishing new articles and content. I'm a perfectionist by nature, so I 
tend to obsess a lot on over details, you know, of good writing on on the articles. And I was really anxious, you know, before publishing a new piece every week. And at the beginning, it was not even every week, it was every two weeks. I figured out how to cure it, I think, by forcing myself to publish more frequently. It's counterintuitive if you think about it. I mean, that if you are a perfectionist, the cure for it is to get more output, you know, to produce more, more things. But it works because when you have to create a lot of stuff in little time and you have a commitment, a public commitment to do that, you don't have time or energy to work through the details and you eventually understand that they don't matter. I mean, at least they don't matter as much as you think they do. This is also something that I'm proud that I'm now comfortable in writing things online. And I, I tell this from the side of being an introvert. And so I feel that by writing every week and by becoming more comfortable about that, I've also grown as a person, as a human being in a way. But at the beginning it was hard. So a mistake that I made is definitely to stumble too much on some things that I didn't feel like uh, it would be worth publishing and then instead became some of the biggest successes of the newsletter, for example. So, okay, Luca, what does the future look like for the product and for your team? I have our vision and our mission to create value about making people grow and becoming better engineering leaders and building better engineering teams. So we will always try to create the best content and the best community for doing that. And that's really the, the goal and the, the vision. So I, I remember when people asked me the question, I mean, what, what's the future? What's the plan? When I was a founder and CTO of, of a regular, you know, VC-backed startup, and we had our business plans, our five years plan. So we thought we had everything figured out, you, you know. Uh, Right now it's different because I cannot really tell you what's going to happen in one year. It's a diff totally different uh, adventure for me than what I've seen in the past. So the honest answer that I, <laughs> I would have to give is I don't know. What I know is that we'll stay true to what we care about and we'll try you know, to create things sustainable for us. Going back to what you mentioned about activities that scale, activities that don't scale. but always trying to stay true to what we have been doing so far and trying to think what we would like to, to have and to consume and to use as a product for, for engineering leaders. Well, Luca, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? You know, name somebody you look up to or multiple people that you look up to and why? I mean, I look up to many people, both when it comes to engineering leaders and to writers. It's a, two different categories of people that also have an overlap, of course. And at the beginning, I really admired, and still do, of course, people who managed to write for a living, so they, they pulled it off. You know, I was a big user of, or, and consumer of newsletters and paid newsletters before I started mine. And that was also one of the reasons why I started, because I really believed in the medium. So. I really loved, and I still do, Lenny's newsletter by Lenny Rakitsky. It's one of the first business newsletters that I, I paid for, and I loved his journey, and I try to mimic uh, what he does. Uh, I hope he doesn't get mad. I can think of Pat Kua or Gary Olos, and I, I take whatever I can from their best writing 
uh, all the time because you know how they say that great artists steal. So I, I don't know if I'm a great artist. I don't think so. But I, I hope that even average artists can steal sometimes. Well, we talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. So if you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? One thing for sure connects with what we have said before. So I would be more, I mean, aggressive in publishing more things. Not because, not meaning that I have to lower, you know, my, my, uh, the quality bar of my expectations, but just to be less afraid and, and publish more articles from the get-go. One thing that I've learned is that on the internet, people are really overwhelmed with content. So it's hard for a newsletter to take off sometimes because people just forget about you. Maybe they read one of your articles, but then the next one comes after one month or even two weeks. And they, in the meantime, forgot about who you even are. <laughs> so uh, sometimes it's better maybe to, to write something that is shorter and most, more straight to the point, but being able to do so every week rather than a more a longer, more thoughtful, and you think that it's even better essay uh, every two weeks, but people don't even have the time to read it in full, and they forget about your newsletter in the meantime. Then I, I think I, I would need to be more active on, on communities and gatherings of people that uh, are my you know, ideal readers and customers to get feedback from them and sharing the newsletter with them. That is something that I've not done for some times, uh, especially at the beginning, always you know, being a little bit afraid uh, that my content was not up to par, but that, that proved to be at some point the best way to grow, especially at the beginning when I didn't have an initial audience by myself. I had maybe 200 YouTube followers and, and that's it. So all everything revolves around sharing your work and your content publicly, more often, better and, and more. Uh, so building in public, especially for creators and writers, is really the way to go. People connect with you, you find people in your niche. And it's really true what they say that writing is like networking for introverts. You know, people reach out to you instead of you having to reach out to people. Well, last question, Luca. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I mean, first of all, I would be really excited for him. I would tell him that it's a wonderful experience also because I know it's hard, you know, you have up and downs, but you have to remind people that what they're doing is great. And then I think if they already built the, the next big thing and they're successful, then happy for them. But if they're struggling, if they're not sure, I, I know many founders, uh, I'm active in the startup ecosystem here in Italy. And when it comes to success stories, they look very similar. They look like people who stick with something, tried many things, and eventually got the right one and, and build, the, build the right thing. That was because they kept showing up every day. They kept iterating and they eventually got it right. So it is very rare in my experience that you have an idea and that idea is totally crap. It's never like that, but it's always that you may have some assumptions and some of them are good and some of them end up being not good. Okay. So I think that if you optimize for moving fast, you know, changing things at a good pace, 
and being able to do so for a long time that usually means like a lowering cost having a long runway then you eventually you you get the right problem the problem that people pay you for and that becomes the your big thing but you have to have you to give yourself that chance by talking with customers all the time so that you try many things you get ideas for trying new things and you stick with it for long enough so that you eventually try the the right thing makes a ton of sense and that's great advice well luca thank you for being on the show today thank you for telling the creation story of refactoring club thank you now for having me it's been a pleasure thank you so much And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money.